Thank you again for listening to our podcast today. Thank you so much for your support. We worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. here at St. John's Lutheran Church in the heart of downtown Martinsburg, West Virginia. Know that you're always welcome to our table and to our worship. God bless. And we hope you enjoy today's message. So all those people who lived through the 2000s probably remember this phrase really, or this, these four letters really well. WWJD, what's it stand for? Right. It was on bracelets everywhere. It was, it was everywhere. What would Jesus do? And actually, it's. I didn't know this. I learned this this week. It's a really old phrase. It comes from the 1800s. What would Jesus do? It kind of got reimaginedized in the year 2000. And then when I was in seminary in, in the 2010s, it was nuanced a little bit more. At least it was in the seminary community. It was WWJHD. What? No, wait. I'm sorry. W H J. What has Jesus done? W H J D. Um, because for me, I, I'm not always certain what Jesus would do. I know what Jesus has done because I can read the scriptures. But what Jesus is going to do is sometimes a mystery. I mean, I stand before you right now as brilliant. Uh, I love computers, and yet for some reason, I am a pastor, and I am not all that great with preaching or teaching, but yet for some reason God has called me to do this. So I don't truly want to know or understand what Jesus is doing, but I do know what Jesus has done. And we look in the Bible every week for what Jesus has done, and that's where we had this lesson, this lesson today from the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus calling his first disciples. He goes up to them in the boat, he says, follow me. I kept thinking about that this week as I read two articles that I thought were from the Babylonian Bee. It's a satire news site, usually focused around Christian articles. Only these two articles that I read were not fake. They were indeed real, and it scared the bejesus out of me. The first headline was, Cool Pat- Tennessee Pastor Gets Annoyed, Kicks Mom and Baby Out of Church. Let me read to you a little bit from the article. Two of the biggest problems with non-denominational megachurch-style pop worship is that the pastor who usually functions as a self-appointed pseudo-bishop often has an inflated sense of self-importance. He and the house cover band are the stars of the show and aim to give their congregation audience the best entertainment their dollars can buy. United Church in Gatlin, Tennessee is an aspiring megachurch pastored by Dan Smith. Apparently, as Danny Boy began his sermon this past Sunday, there was a child who made a noise, described by witnesses as little more than a peep. Apparently the pastor forgot the passage in the, from the gospel that says, Let the little children come to me. The pastor apparently didn't want to ruin anybody else's worship experience that day. So, and, and I quote from the article, he didn't want to inconvenience the 300 people because of a crying child. That's why we have TVs in the, out, in the outside. That's why we have a nursery. Quote, unquote. Apparently what Jesus meant when he said follow me was to just really follow him and keep your mouth shut and don't disturb anybody's faith, his spirits. The other article was about a, a church in Minnesota that was asking its older members to stay away for up to two years so that they can attract new younger families. It's a real story. CNN did a follow-up on it and reported that Dan Wetterstrom lead pastor of Grove United Methodist Church. The church that they're talking about is a campus church, so they all kind of feed it. They have one main campus, and then they have multiple smaller campuses outside. Uh, the, pastor, the, lead church, the lead pastor of the, of the church 
he said he never told older members they weren't asked they were asked to leave. They were requested to move to an alternative worship for eight, 15 to 18 months, a year and a half, two years, a year and a half. This is true. And during this transition time, but they were never asked to stay away for two years. I guess a year and a half is not two years. Sure, it seems pretty close. I don't know about any of you, but that sounds a lot like asking the older members to stay away. In the CNN article, they, uh, they interviewed a 70-year-old man named Bill Gacksetter. I'm probably mispronouncing his name really badly. But he said he's been a member of the congregation for about 10 years. And the message was that only young families were wanted. He said the note he received said that the campus would be going dark and its current parishioners, many of whom are older, were no longer allowed to go there. I just couldn't believe it, he told CNN. Yet the words from the Gospel of Matthew, from Jesus, simply say, follow me. Jesus doesn't say, follow me if you're between the ages of 18 and 30. He says, follow me. You know, church is one of the few places in the world, left in the world, that are, are truly intergenerational. Schools are not intergenerational. Some workplaces are, work, are intergenerational, but that is becoming lesser and lesser. Don't get me wrong, I, I, love, love, I really love young families in church, but I also love 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds and 60, 70, 80, 90-year-olds in the church. I love people of all ages. The, the health of any congregation is not determined by the average age, but by the spiritual practices of the church. I seriously would be lost if it were not for many of you who watch my son every week that he's here. He has like 15, 20 grandparents in each of the congregations. He's able to con all of you into giving whatever he wants every week. I love visiting our shut-ins. It's one of the, January is a really slow month for me in the office, and I love just being able to go out and sit with some of our elderly members drinking lemonade. In the summertime, we sit out on their porches and do it. It's really a wonderful and holy thing that I get to do. I also love going to the hospital and celebrating with some of our younger families at the birth of a new child. You know, I grew up going to mostly older congregations, and I'm, and I'm here today not because I went to some hip church, but because people were faithful to the gospel. And their faithfulness inspired something within me. They nurtured my faith. They allowed me to make mistakes. They, they allowed me to say stupid things and then forgive me. They were an amazing group of people who happened to be a little bit older. And that's okay. There is nothing wrong with having both older adults and younger adults in the same congregation, worshiping the same God. Actually, it's quite good to have a good mix because a church is a place where the sacraments are administered, the gospel is preached, and the saints of all ages, all races and all creeds can worship together. So when I hear people say, we just need more younger families, my reply is always, no, we just need more people. And not more people to pay the bills. We need more people because the gospel is so powerful, so important, that we cannot stay silent no more. I mean, that's what happened to Jesus. Reports of John's arrest were heard by Jesus. And Jesus doesn't just sit around and, and wait for God to do something. Wait on God to save John. Jesus picks up exactly where John left off. Preaching the same message of John. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as he goes up the coast, he meets some fishermen, Simon and Andrew. He says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they leave their nets behind. Later on, Jesus meets James and John in the boat with their father. James says, follow me and I will 
and they leave their father behind. Most often we, we like to talk about Jesus calling fishermen. We like to focus on that aspect of the story because it has some really great sermon illustrations. I mean, who doesn't love a good fish story every once in a while from the pulpit? However, in the world behind the text, we forget that rabbis at this time did not go around looking for students. Students looked for them. Students applied to be students of the rabbi. The more prestigious the rabbi, the more students applied. And you can't get more prestigious than Jesus. But Jesus doesn't have them apply. In fact, he does the asking. Jesus comes to Simon and Andrew. They do not come to him. He sees them. They do not see him. He speaks. They do not. Jesus' call to these new disciples is both command and promise. Follow me is a command. And we understand that pretty well. As Priscilla said, you follow where Jesus goes. I will make you fisher for people is, is a still a little bit confusing. Especially for us 2,000 years later. But at the time, the fish narrative was not all that uncommon for both the Jewish religion and, and those who are in the pagan religions. I think the point of this phrase is that Jesus is wishing to call us to a new life and to participate in God's own saving work. The very end of the gospel is Jesus commanding his disciples to do what? But to baptize. Baptize people of all nations. All of us are active participants in God's saving work. Not just Jesus. We all play a part, an active role, and it starts by following Jesus. And without a question, without a hesitation, without a thought, the fishermen leave their nets and follow Jesus. In the Matthean story, these men have never seen Jesus before, have seen none of his miracles, have heard none of his teachings. No explanation has been given to them. They are not told why they should follow Jesus, what following will mean, or will the path will lead them. That unto itself is a miracle. The first miracle in Matthew's gospel involves discipleship. In some ways, when any, whenever anyone chooses to follow, whenever anyone follows Jesus, it is a miracle. The word of God is so powerful that it causes people to leave everything behind and follow a complete stranger. The Messianic community comes into being in response to Christ's own word. And we continue to exist because of that response. You were called to follow Jesus. You are not called to follow me or any other church leaders. We are baptized in the name of Christ for a reason. Not my name or anyone else's. You are called to follow Jesus. And we continue to exist not because of a mere mortal word. Not because of a mere mortal's word. But in response to Christ's word to follow him. We exist to be a place where disciples of all nations, nationalities, and creeds can come together and be nurtured in the Word of God. You do not have to be young or old, rich or poor, black or white to be a part of this or any faith community. A community of faith need to have their priorities straight. Keeping the lights on is not our main priority. Caring for the souls of all who come into this community is our top priority. Ensuring that we are a community grounded in worship of the triune God. That we are teaching good spiritual practices. And that we are actually doing these teachings is way more important to concern for property or entertainment. You know, the church met for many years in caves. 
They did this vital and holy work that we are still doing today. And most of these communities have ceased to exist, but their legacy continues through congregations like ours because the word of God is all that matters. We exist solely in response to Jesus' word to follow him. May we not forget that. Because the moment we do, we're no better than the pastor who kicked out a mother and a child because a child interrupted his sermon and his congregation's entertainment for the hour. We are no better than a church who kicks out older members in the hopes of attracting younger families. We exist to create followers of Jesus of all ages, of all races, of all creeds, of all nationalities. We exist to nurture the faith of fellow Christians. May we not forget that sometimes the greatest miracle of them all is someone who simply follows our Lord wherever he goes.